Excellent. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much for helping uh, move some things around. We're going to spend, uh, I'm not going to talk loads in our seminar. We're going to spend some time acting as well. So uh, hence the having to slight rearrange the furniture in here. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Emily. Um, I'm part of Mosaic Church, and um, I, Mosaic's been my church family for over 10 years. So it's, um, it's really exciting to be at Love Nations again and see how um, it's grown and to be able to share with you something that is far more recent in my journey as a Christian. Um, so I've been part of Mosaic, and I've lived in Le- Leeds for a number of years. But it's been over the past 12 months that I've taken on a a role. I'm employed by Open Doors, who are a charity that support the persecuted church. And um, this uh, this afternoon, I'm not going to give you the Open Doors spiel. I'm far more going to share uh, about, I guess, some of my journey in, like, what does it mean for, like, me to be involved in well, understand Christian persecution, how uh, does that affect my life? And also, what does that mean for us as a church family? And what can we do, if anything, to address persecution? Um, And if persecution is not a word we talk about or use a lot necessarily in everyday life, but it means that systematic bullying, picking on, abuse of a person or people group because of... uh, an identifying character trait. And in this case, Christianity and Christian persecution is a global phenomenon. It happens all around uh, the world. And so the story I really, uh, the question I want us to answer today is what has persecution got to do with me? And I think if, as I started my role, literally about a year ago this month, um, I would have told you that persecution was bad, like, I knew that, like, abusing people, beating people for any reason, not a good thing. But I also definitely struggled to think, like, I knew that in the Bible somewhere, like, Jesus spoke about those who, per- like, they persecute me, and if they persecute me, they will persecute you. And I was like, it doesn't necessarily sit with how I, what I think about church. When I became a Christian, when I was 17, no one told me I was going to be persecuted. That wasn't a warning on the box. It was, I was stepping into a, a sense of freedom, a love of knowing the heavenly creator. So what does it mean to know that love? But also, what does that mean to then endure and face persecution? Open Doors does quite a lot of studying of churches around the world, and they estimate that there are currently 260 million believers who are suffering extreme or high levels of persecution. That's a huge number of our believers. In fact, that is one in eight of all believers globally. And so if you're not suffering high or extreme levels of persecution right now, we are in the other seven. And I'm going to make the assumption that that's the majority of us, that we are the rest of that. So what does God have to say? We're going to start by looking a little bit at the Bible, a helpful place to go when we want to know what God has to say. Um, With then, I'm going to share some stories of some amazing people I've either had the privilege of meeting or hearing about, and then we're going to act together. So that's a little bit, if you like a breakdown, that's what we're going to spend 10 minutes doing of each bit. So if you turn to act, chapter 9 with me. Uh, we're going to read about Paul, and uh, we're gonna, he is uh, in Damascus. And so you need to read Acts uh, chapter 9, 
verse 22. So it says, uh, so uh, Paul was Saul. He had this incredible Damascus Road encounter. He gave his life to Jesus. And then uh, he's in Damascus and it says, yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah or the one that they were waiting for. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. I wonder what do these passages tell us about the Christian life? I bought the best basket I could find with me. Uh, This is actually about a quarter of the size of the basket that Paul would have found himself in. He would have been in a wool basket used for transporting wool. It would have been about just over a metre wide and high. But even still, this is a man who had great authority, who en route to Damascus, he was coming with all the letters of uh, knowledge, he knew all the right people, all the best people, he was high regarded, he would have been staying in like the best accommodation. Suddenly, a number of years later, he's back in the city and he is being chased. What does it mean about the Christian life to be in the basket? And I wonder, for a moment, talk to the person next to you, you've got about a minute, and have a go at thinking about that question. What does it mean, what does it tell us about the Christian life from Paul's experience in the basket? Imagine yourself in that basket, You're being lowered down, about maybe as far as 80 metres, down a wall into the desert of a city. How might you feel and what might we learn uh, about the Christian life from that encounter? You've got a minute and then I'll hear some ideas. Thank you. Okay, thank you for those discussions. I'd love to hear, what did you say? What do we learn about the Christian life from Paul's In the Basket experience and you just feel free to shout them out yeah yeah definitely can be dangerous it isn't just all safe absolutely yeah we might feel alienated yeah in a new environment absolutely yeah it's definitely not always stable imagine like you friends holding onto that rope even like a gust of wind could like Shake you. You don't want it tipping, tipping you out halfway down the wall, do you? Yeah. His friends gathered around. And he had to trust them, didn't he? He had to trust that they weren't going to suddenly panic and drop the rope. He, you had, he had to rely on them as well. I was having a conversation down the front, and we said, but once he got to the bottom, he was going to be alone. And the only person he had to rely on was God. And... Uh, I uh, shamelessly nicked this illustration from a great uh, author called uh, Ron Boyd Macmillan, and he is a um, teacher at a theological college. He teaches around the world, and he does this exercise, and he says uh, the answers he gets in the West and the East are quite different, and the answers he gets in the West are the answers that you have given me. And he says there's one difference. In the East, he'll get similar answers, 
but they almost always mention that Paul is being pursued. Like this story only happens because he's riled up the people in the city and they are coming to attack him. The Jews are upset by him. They're coming to attack him. They hate him. They're the ones who are pursuing him, which is why he has to go down in the basket. And and Paul doesn't just talk about, uh, or we don't just hear about this basket incident in Acts, because Paul talks about it again. He talks about it in Galatians, um, because he goes away to Arabia. That's where he first becomes Christian and goes away to Arabia. And we hear that King Aratas, uh, he comes... And he's got guards by the gate outside the city waiting for Paul. So not only is he escaping being pursued inside the city gates or city walls, once he's outside the city walls, he is being pursued again by this king of Arabia. So what does Paul do to make these people so mad? And what has persecution got to do with us? Well, Paul is declaring the gospel. He shares the gospel wherever he goes. And that is the cause of this pursuit. He's explaining that Jesus is the Messiah and he is the Lord, and that causes the Jews to come after him. But also he is spreading the gospel uh, out to the uh, Gentiles, and that causes them to come after him as well. And they are chasing Paul down. And actually, when we look at some of those passages that you might have heard of, where, uh, that Jesus talking about persecution, he uses the same word that means to be pursued, to be chased down like an animal in some cases, hunted like an animal. So in John 15, Jesus says, tells, tells us, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love as its own. But because you are not of the world... But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember that the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will persecute you. In fact, in Matthew and the Beatitudes, uh, Jesus teaches that we are blessed when, not if, but when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. We are blessed in those moments. And I mean... Perhaps the most challengingly, Paul then talks about persecution again at the end in one of his letters to Timothy, and he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, will be pursued. And I think when I first heard that, when I first heard this illustration of pursuit, I realized that this wasn't a cause that happened to some people in a country far away from me. But actually, this is a promise that we all encounter when we change sides, when we move out of being in the world, and we stand on the winning team with Jesus, who is victorious and glorified. But we all know that suffering's really tough, and we don't know why suffering happens. And so I have some stories to share with you about people who have stepped into the kingdom who know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. And by doing so, they have stepped into being pursued actively by uh, forces of evil, whether through their governments or otherwise, and that they are finding themselves at that front 
edge of persecution, that we are all one family. There's an, uh, in Corinthians, it talks about we are all one body, and like there's uh, arms and legs, and we all have to work together. But if I went at you and cut your leg off, or maybe gave it a good stab at least, like the rest of your body would respond. You wouldn't be like, oh, oh dear, I've got something in my leg, that's unfortunate. Like, your arms would go to it, you might scream out, you would, like, the body would respond where it is injured and where it is hurting. And so we will look at how, as some, perhaps some of us, the other parts of the body, uh, we can respond. Um, and I just wanted to say, like, I have sat with this idea that, oh, sh- I'm not being persecuted, like, nobody's coming down the street, like, fighting me, like, am I really a Christian? Like, I've asked that question, and please don't uh, hear that that is what you should be looking for. Please don't go out of here and be like, start a fight with somebody because you feel like you need to be persecuted. Um, praise God that you are not suffering under persecution right now. And pray, pray for our family and uh, respond to those who are. But also be prepared that that might not always be the way. Like you might not always be living under that blessing, but that may come to you. And Jesus promises it will come to us when that persecution happens. It might not be as extreme as a murder or a beating, but that persecution will happen. And uh, it is unlikely to happen in the same way as it happened for a young girl called Kim Sang-hwa. I think we've got a photo of her. Oh, sorry, we've got some... Yeah, these were the stats. So Kim Sang-hwa, uh, actually this isn't her image, but she is from North Korea. And at the age of 12, she made a shocking discovery. I don't know if you've got any family secrets that you've uh, come across and you've had that like, heartbeat moment where you're like, oh my goodness, my family are not quite what I thought they were. Um, or I don't know if you ever like, discovered something, like uh, a secret hiding place, and you've suddenly been like, oh, like... I, th- there's some secret treasure in it, or maybe sweets, that's always better. Um, but Kim Sung-hwa had that encounter. When she was 12, she was like in her house, and she came across a secret cabinet in her home. She opened the door of the cabinet, and inside was a little, little black book. Now, in uh, North Korea, children are the property of the state until they are nine, and they are like given back to their parents for raising for those nine years. So they're kind of like, you've only got your own child like on loan to raise sort of in the ways of the North Korean government. And so uh, Kim Sang-ho had never heard anything about Christianity or Jesus. But what she had heard was that people who owned little black books were traitors. And in school, they were told that if you ever found one, you should report it to your teacher. So she suddenly had this decision to make. Does she betray her parents and her family? Or does she go and ask them, what is this little book doing in my house? And uh, she said she opened the first page and she read those words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. She says, I immediately stopped reading and I began to shiver. I dropped the book to the ground. I was so scared. My discovery could cost me my life. I was afraid even to touch it. But I couldn't just leave it there. 
So I closed my eyes, took a deep breath, picked up the book and put it back in the closet where she'd found it. She couldn't let her parents know. She actually sat on that knowledge for three days or a, a, a few days before deciding to make, uh, to approach her father and ask him who, like, why have they got this book. And she ends up accepting Jesus into her life. And in that moment, she becomes a traitor to her own nation. Her own nation are suddenly after her. And her family, uh, as she grows up, her family are spied upon. Her father's business is infiltrated by spies. And they, um, and, and they want to know about who's talking about Jesus. And in the end, uh, the spy who's spying on her family gives his life to Jesus, and they get married. And then they have to escape. Um, and that, there's a whole uh, incredible story around that that I haven't got time to share all the, de- all the details with you. But... The reality is that following Jesus has never been safe. And for Kim Sang-hwa, she had to make that decision very quickly that to step into the danger of following Jesus. She knew the cost. Three generations of her family would have ended up in prison uh, if her Bible were discovered. More recently, um, this lady I found incredibly inspiring. She's called Mary Mohammadi. You may have come across her. She used to be known as Fatima. Um, but she changed her name to Mary when she became Christian. She's from Iran. She's 21. She's a student. And she's one of the last, or she's one of a few um, outspoken evangelical Christians uh, in, still in Iran. Um, she was arrested near Azidi Square where she was taking part in a protest about just over three weeks ago. She's 21 and this is her second imprisonment for talking about Jesus. Just before Christmas, she found herself um, expelled from university with, for no reason. Uh, she just wasn't allowed in to sit her exams. And uh, she says, depriving me of my education is certainly intended to exert pressure upon me and silence me. But she is campaigning for Christians to have freedom in Iran. And I don't know if you know anything about Iran. They've got one of the fastest underground churches in the world, possibly the fastest underground church in the world, if we could accurately count the numbers. Um, But she's been arrested and she has most likely been beaten. They have confirmed that she is still alive and uh, currently in prison in Iran, um, where she, if she gives up her faith, they will let her go free. But because she refuses to say that Jesus isn't her Lord and Saviour, they will keep her there. And I just wondered, we're going to pray in a bit. And so um, could a few people just put up their hands to say that they all pray and remember Mary um, and her current situation? Yeah, great, thank you. Three, four, five, six, brilliant. We we have have more stories, so there'll be more people to pray for. But certainly, please pray for Mary. And um, staying in Iran, uh, this is a picture of um, uh, Moshtaba. Um, he's actually in the UK now, but Mustaba uh, was an um, Iranian underground church leader who uh, was imprisoned um, a number of years ago for uh, activities, which are like being a Christian, uh, and organising secret, secret churches and the underground church across Tehran. Uh, and he, um, I got to meet him on Wednesday. Actually, he came to our offices uh, uh, where I work, and he shared a little bit of his story. And he said two things which uh, challenged me a, a lot. So he described the persecution as, that he faced as a gift. He said, the gift of my persecution 
So the second time he was arrested, he was put in solitary confinement for a number of days where they tried to convince him to relinquish his faith and um, tell like, on the other people. He, um, he was then released and put into like, a high-security prison where uh, he was approached by a Muslim man who uh, basically wanted to like, debate uh, between Muhammad and uh, Jesus with him. And, uh, and uh, Mo said he was like, oh, I'm just not, like, I was not in a place to like, have that discussion. I was like, just got to prison. I was meant to be here for a long time. Like, I don't really want to do that debate right now. And um, so he said to this guy, he was like, oh, um, you just go away and like, uh, ask um, Jesus uh, or, and pray to God to reveal himself to you. And he was like, I, I'm not going to talk to you. Just you pray for that. And, uh, and, this guy, and this guy who's on death row, actually, he's not. And he, he's like a pretty, he's a bad guy. Like, he's meant to be on death row. Like, he's not unjustly in prison in Iran. Um, he goes away. And, uh, of course, like, the next day he comes back and he's like, I've had the best night's sleep in my life. I've not slept since some of the crimes I've committed. But I, I, I prayed and I asked God, you know, would you answer these? Is it, is it Muhammad? Is it Jesus? He said, I've never slept so well. And I think there's something in this Jesus. And, uh, he, and he said that he then met with this man and they, uh, he shared the Bible that he'd memorized because he didn't have a Bible to hand. They shared stories. And um, his friend became, knew the Lord more and more. Um, and eventually the guards realised what was happening and they moved them to different wings, different areas, so they couldn't communicate. And then after about a year, he heard that this, uh, this man had been executed, um, as he expected. Um, but this man went into heaven knowing Jesus Christ as his Lord and Saviour. And then Mo said, he said he broke down in prison that day and cried for his friend. But he felt God say to him, even if you spend the rest of your days in prison, it will have been worth it for that one life. And he said that persecution takes us places we can't go. There was no way he was going to have been able to walk into an, a prison in Iran and teach people about Jesus. But because of his persecution, he was able to go there and do that. And uh, I was very inspired by him. He described... Uh, this gift of uh, persecution is a gift of a diamond with many sides. And so like, it ref reflects and uh, there are many sides to it and the light of God spills out across the, across the world, across his city um, through that gift of persecution. Um, he's actually coming to Leeds. He's coming here to South Parade Baptist Church um, on the evening of the 11th of March. So if you wanted to come and hear him, I only heard like, a snippet of his story. He's going to share um, all of that on, well, probably a lot of it, uh, on the 11th of March. If you're around, you'd be really welcome to come and join us. So this idea that persecution sharpens our faith, that it's not all bad news. Um, Abu is a, was a man raised in uh, uh, North Africa to become a Muslim sheikh, and he had a powerful, miraculous encounter with uh, Lord Jesus, who called him out of preaching to reveal himself to him. And he said this, I think it's on a slide, he said, um, during persecution you see God so clearly. Oh, yeah, here you go. Persecution teaches you not to re really know Jesus, to know Jesus, not just know of him. So he says, in that moment of persecution, you see God so clearly. I wonder if we see God that clear clearly. 
And this is a man who was, uh, became, became Christian, fled uh, his family, who caught up with him, beat him. But he was rescued by courageous Christians. Christians who'd heard that he'd become a believer. And I don't know if you can just imagine this. There's somebody who's been preaching that morning against you. You're in a country where if you get caught to be a believer, you will probably be executed, if not beaten to death by your family. And you hear this rumour. He's become a believer. And then you hear the rumour that his family have caught up with him. And that you're thinking, like, what do we do? So some believers went to where they thought his family had beaten him, and they found him close to dead. And they took him to a hospital where they had to pay. And they paid for him to be, uh, to be cared for. And then they went and visited him. And then they helped him escape uh, like when he was be- well enough to do that. Like, I'm so challenged that I want to step out in my faith. Uh, and like, it's rarely to go to somebody who's been beaten up for their faith. But these believers were so bold, they stepped into that danger to rescue a brother, one of their own. God continues to be at work in the danger, and uh, I said this a moment ago, but this is actually a, story, uh, a quote from another, um, another persecuted believer called Ozod, and he said, if you flick on, uh, during persecution... Oh. Yet persecution teaches you to really know Jesus, not not just know of him. And there are loads of stories that I haven't got time to, uh, as you saw on the slides, I haven't got um, enough time to share all of them with you. And we're not going to play that video either, Dave, so don't worry about that. Um, Because we're going to spend some time responding. Um, and, the, and so the last, uh, so, and how, so how do we respond? Well, first of all, please pray. That is the most powerful thing that we can do for the persecuted church. So embed the persecuted, our persecuted family into your prayer lives. If you um, are a user of apps, PrayerMate, I don't know if you've come across this, but um, it's uh, an app which connects with loads of different charities around the world, and you can like opt into whose prayer updates you want. You can get a persecuted prayer update like on your phone every morning to pray for the persecuted church. Keep an eye on the news. Keep an eye on the, Burkina Faso has had, like, has had three attacks against Christian, against churches, where I think it's about uh, 24 people, 24, 25 people have been martyred for their faith since the beginning of the year. That's like seven or eight weeks. And that's because there is this concentrated um, spread of Islamic extremism like coming through that sort of central belt of Africa. So pray, pray for the church there. Pray that they will be protected. So we're going to take some time to pray. Would you consider writing? Um, I've got some postcards uh, here of leads. Um, we're going to write, uh, there's a writing campaign at the moment to children in Colombia. So uh, in Colombia, if you are, like, there's lots of gang, uh, gang rivalry, lots of children are um, brought into gangs, and you have to pick a gang when you're, you get to sort of 13, 14, 15 years old. And if you choose not to, if you, and, if, and where churches have stood up against, sort of, and it's drug trafficking through those gangs, if they stand up to them. Pastors have been beaten, children, teenagers have been murdered because they refuse to engage in that gang culture and trafficking in arms. We can write 
cards of encouragement to them at the moment and send them out. So if you want to grab a postcard, if you know some Spanish, you can write in Spanish. If you only know English, either write in simple English and leave some space for translation. Uh, or you just draw a picture, um, but write an encouragement to them. It doesn't have to be like profound. It can be, we are st- praying for you, I am remembering you. Uh, stand strong in the faith. It can be simple. It really doesn't have to be a big deal. We're going to pray at the map at the back. So if you, uh, um, I've got a number of top tens, which are the top ten countries where it's hardest to live as a Christian. And we, if you want to stand around uh, the map at the back, grab a top ten, take the prayer points for that, and just pray um, for uh, those countries. Pray for the countries on the top 50 places where it's hardest to live out your faith. And finally, um, I've got a there's a prayer activity down the front here uh, around women, and um, particularly women uh, with a focus on women in northern Nigeria. Women around the world are doubly vulnerable to the effects of persecution, twice as likely uh, to endure persecution than the rest, of, like than men in the church. And one of those ways is if you kill a woman's husband, then in a lot of countries she will have no, uh, she doesn't have any breadwinner, she's got no money, she's got no political, uh, like very, or very little political and economic sway. Her family might kick her off the land because they want to use it for something else, particularly if there's been that sort of, a, a, the family, they've become believers and left another religion. So we need to pray for them. So if you come down the front, there are some, uh, there's a little bit of soil and some uh, seeds. Um, and there's currently a microloan campaign called The Seeds of Hope. And so there's a couple of magazines with stories in of women from Nigeria who uh, have been loaned some money, uh, which they're able to use to grow crops, sell crops, and start their own business. So we're going to pray for them down here, pray for the women in Nigeria, pray at the back for some of those uh, stories I've told you, uh, for Mary, um, and then uh, we will, I will lead us all to pray together just before uh, the end. Um, so if you want to, most stuff's at the front, you want to come to the front, get some bits, um, and we'll pray together. We have just got a couple of minutes left before the end of the session, and somebody just came and shared with me um, that Mary, who we'd all just been praying for, and uh, I spoke about, actually was released on bail at some point, probably in the last 24 hours, So uh, she, and she is due back in court on the 17th of, say it again, the 2nd of March, 2nd of March. Um, so uh, praise God for an answered prayer, and let's pray that she will be acquitted um, on, the se- on the second when she returns again. Um, I just wondered if you uh, would all stand with me as we come to close. If you are finishing off postcards, I'm going to leave my basket at the front, so feel free to add your postcard to the, to the basket. Um, um, and just to close, I thought we could pray out loud together. I haven't got the words, so I hope that you can remember or know it. We could pray together uh, the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that um, Jesus taught his believers and the prayer that people uh, will be standing and praying around the world. Um, perhaps we could uh, pray that together um, as a sign of, sort of we're standing with our persecuted family around the globe. And then uh, you're free to go to your break um, or come and chat to me <laughs> if you have any questions. Okay, so um, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We bow us the kingdom, power and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you all very much, and we'll see you this afternoon.